Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending March 4th, 2023. This week, Comcast offers to trade cash and two superheroes for Hulu and a player to be named later. I'm Kim Hollis, hoping that our house doesn't end up in Oz. It is so windy, everybody. We've lost power four times in the last 20 minutes, so this is going to be exciting. Yes. <laughs> with me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, unhappy with the addition of the introduction clock. You know, it's hard enough to come up with these introductions, let alone have to think of a funny thing to say after. Also, the, the, David oh, Mumpower, <laughs> author of Disney Demystified Volume 2, streaming media analyst and ready for the ball to be tipped. Why wait two more weeks? I'm mad now. <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's got his fantasy Oscar ballot ready. Top Gun Maverick wins best picture. Mark my words. No, nobody laughed. <laughs> Has a better chance than a couple of the other ones, but no, it's not going to win. If Jorge were here, he would laugh hard. <laughs> This week, Warner Brothers Discovery is running into rough waters with a couple of their upcoming marquee projects for HBO and HBO Max. The Dune spinoff, The Sisterhood, has lost one of its directors, Johan Rink, and star Shirley Henderson. And Rolling Stone is reporting that The Idol, the upcoming more risque show from Euphoria creator Sam Levinson, is in turmoil. You heard that right. More risque than euphoria, folks. That's that's hard to do. Yeah. I think that's just Pornhub, isn't it? <laughs> Levinson has reportedly scrapped much of the original production and has taken over directing duties of The Idol, starring The Weeknd and Lily Rose Depp. The show is about the mysterious owner of an L.A. nightclub, played by The Weeknd, who secretly runs a sex cult. Some of the scenes described in the show are too graphic to be mentioned on this podcast. The six-episode series was 80% completed when the director left, leading to a major overhaul. Although it's supposed to be a satire, one anonymous source is describing it as a rape fantasy. Yeah, apparently the plan for this involved a send-up on Nexum, which would have been a female empowerment story with a bit of a sardonic twist and a take on how exactly you can find yourself in a situation like that. And by the end, the woman would have realized that she didn't need this. She was already a superstar and she was going to go out on her own. And instead, they bring in the Euphoria guy and he's apparently making what they're describing as Euphoria season three. And a lot of the people involved with the project are really, really unhappy because it wasn't what they signed on for. And I am sure that David Zaslav is going to worry about all of their artistic sensibilities, right? <laughs> right. Y'all signed on the dotted line. Learn the lesson here. Never trust a viper. God. This is what happened. They tried something and it was highbrow and ambitious. And that is not what HBO Max wants at this point. That's why they're dropping the HBO from the title, apparently. So we're looking at something that had grand ambitions and is now being reduced to absolute basics because all they care about is the eyeballs. And as for the sisterhood, the series creator and co-showrunner Diane Ademu-John already stepped down back in November. So this has definitely been a troubled production. I'd argue that 
it would be easy for David Zasloff to just scrap the project, except for the fact that it's a co-production with Legendary. And after Warner Brothers alienated that production studio by putting Dune day and date in theaters and on streaming during the pandemic, the last thing Zasloff wants to do is irritate them or worse, be compared to former Warner Brothers CEO Jason Kyler. He wishes. Seriously, though, with all the talent who has dropped out of this, at this point, what we're talking about is they want to do the Dune brand, and they don't care that this is not working at all. And, you know, we see so many projects like this that they're just trying to extend a brand. And then when they come out, everybody's like, why did you even do that? That's definitely the way that this project is trending right now. Somebody could show up and turn it around. I mean, you know, House of the Dragon was a troubled shoot that turned out pretty well. But right now, as a huge fan of Dune and the B'nai Gesserit, I... I'm watching between my fingers right now. It's like a horror scene. I hear you talking about that, David. And all I hear is Halo, Halo, Halo. You'll <laughs> recall, what, it took 10 years for Paramount to get Halo online? Yeah, I, I mean, but there's a difference here. and It's a challenging one to quantify, but Halo is something that for a generation of people is seminal. Dune has been tried so many times and it still hasn't really succeeded to the degree it should based on the quality of the writing. So, you know, it, it wishes it could get Halo numbers. That's just the reality of it. In our deep dive this week, the rumors surrounding the fate of Hulu are starting to heat up. And it looks like there may be some horse trading involved. David, what city suggesting might happen here? Before we actually go into what might happen here and what's being proposed, I want to say one thing. City has mentioned something an analyst has that is a demonstration of past Disney history. And it's possible that they got this idea directly from Comcast, who wanted this story out there, which is the way Comcast is doing business lately. They're doing these conveniently via friends. And this one would involve a trade with Hulu. And that's going to get a little muddy. So I'm going to kick it over to Raul. Raul, Disney did a really famous trade once, didn't they? Yeah, it's a famous Inside Hollywood story. What it boils down to is when NBC was trying to prepare for Sunday night football, they needed someone to anchor their Sunday night football broadcast. What they wanted was Al Michaels, who at the time was under contract at ABC ESPN because he had been anchoring, I believe, Monday night football over there. Al Michaels had, in fact, just extended his contract over at Disney with ABC and ESPN to do their NFL broadcast. So what happened is that Comcast, the owners of NBC, reached out to Disney to inquire about the Al Michaels contract. Could they get Al Michaels on their broadcast on Sunday Night Football? And Disney's response was, sure. But as it turns out, you've got something we want. Remember that cartoon character, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, that Walt Disney created for Universal way back, even before Mickey Mouse? How about you give us Oswald and we'll give you Al Michaels. And that's how Oswald came home to Disney and Al Michaels ended up anchoring Sunday Night Football on NBC. Yeah, the fascinating thing about the story was that Walt Disney learned the hard way about licensing nightmares when he lost the rights to his own character. And the people who owned the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit actually hired all of Disney's animators behind his back so that they would do the work and the person could do it without having to pay Walt Disney. That happened in 1927 and directly led to the creation of Mickey Mouse. It's one of the most important pop culture stories ever. And not a lot of people know it, but it was a big deal 
deal to CEO Bob Iger from day one. He actually promised Disney's family he would get back the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit at some point, and he did. Diane Disney actually personally thanked him, both privately and publicly, for this. And that's why when we start hearing things like this, they're kind of, hey, Bob, we could do something like that again, and you could look like a hero again. Specifically, this one involves Marvel, because as we know, Marvel nearly went broke in the 1990s. While they were fighting bankruptcy, they made some just terrible, and I mean terrible business decisions for quick cash. One of them was they gave away the rights in perpetuity to the theme park that has since become Marvel Superhero Island at Universal Studios. For that reason, Disney can't actually use any of those characters in its own theme park rights. Similarly, Disney does not own movie distribution or television rights for standalone films for Namor, who we just saw in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and for The Incredible Hulk. Universal owns the rights to Namor, they own the rights to uh, The Incredible Hulk, and they own the rights to have a theme park based on Marvel characters. All of it. So the idea is Comcast wants what, role? Well, I'm still not entirely sure about that, but the supposition is that Comcast wants Hulu. I mean, you say it's supposition, but they sure are begging for it a lot if they don't want it. So Disney, as everyone knows, is going to have to write Comcast a check for one third of the ownership of Hulu in January 2024, which means we're only about nine and a half months away from that happening. That check is going to be at least $10 billion. And Comcast is saying, hey, instead of doing that, why don't we write you a check for twice that amount, which is Disney's controlling interest, which would be $20 billion, maybe more. And by the way, we could throw in these things as part of the deal, which means they're saying we will basically trade you. And this sounds like fantasy sports, but it's a real thing that's happening. At least behind the scenes, this is a negotiation ensuing. We will trade you tens of billions of dollars, plus the rights to Namor and the Incredible Hulk in exchange for Hulu. And Disney has to consider that because right now we can't have an Incredible Hulk standalone movie. That's why there hasn't been one with Disney. That's why he's been in Thor Ragnarok. And that's why he's been She-Hulk instead of his own thing. Similarly, when the Black Panther Wakanda Forever came out, that is exactly why they were saying we can't have a Namor standalone movie, which was a new cycle for a while. People were like, hey, we like this character. We'd like to see this. And he's like, well, I don't think that can happen. These are the sticking points Disney has been dealing with, I mean, ever since it purchased Marvel in 2009. It is a fascinating offer. And Raul, let's overlook the fact, I know that you don't think that Comcast is ready to quit on Peacock. Let's just overlook that for now. From a business perspective, does Disney get enough from that for it to make sense? I suppose it all depends on how big that bag of money is. I don't think Disney gets the full two-thirds of Hulu in cash plus Namor and The Incredible Hulk. I think it's less than two-thirds plus your characters in exchange for Hulu. That's where the negotiation is going to happen. It's just how big is the money. But I, I do see the case for this because presumably Disney gets to use the Hulk and Namor and associated supporting characters at the good graces of Universal. And presumably Universal gets some money in exchange every time one of these characters shows up in a movie. One of the big supporting Hulk characters that's actually going to be showing up frequently in the next few Marvel movies is General Ross, now played by Harrison Ford. I think Disney wants to get this deal done so that they don't need to be always asking for permission to use their own characters. And there's some question about which characters are involved. However, we do know that one of the reasons why the 
the abomination came back in She-Hulk was because there were negotiations happening behind the scenes for which Hulk characters could be used where, which makes the Thunderbolt Ross conversation really interesting. Similarly, if I could go ahead and add a couple more things here. Springfield is currently at Universal Studios. By all accounts, that deal was a 20-year agreement, which means that in 2028, Disney won't renew that. So in five years, Universal Studios will have to do something with that theme land. Right now, many Marvel characters cannot appear at Disney parks because of the existing agreement that was made in the 1990s with Universal Studios. In a weird way, NBC Universal, a subsidiary of Comcast, is the perfect trade partner for Disney on this stuff. Because what it means is Disney could get back the rights to these things, to Springfield, to the Marvel characters for theme parks, and suddenly expand on those things. And if they wanted to do instead of an Avengers campus like they have at Disney California Adventure, they could do an entire Marvel theme park if they wanted to. That's not currently possible. But if they start negotiating with Comcast, everything becomes possible. So this is one of those speculative things being leaked in the media, probably, that makes a lot of sense once you get past the one sticking point, which is both of these companies have a lot of debt, and I don't understand how one pays the other that much money. It brings to mind old nuclear arms disarmament negotiations between Reagan and Gorbachev. Just how big do you want your negotiations to be? Are you just talking about Namor and the Hulk? Are you talking about the Simpsons Springfield at Universal Studios? Are you talking about the Marvel characters that are at Universal Studios? This could keep growing and growing into a full-on, everything's-on-the-table kind of settlement, all the way up to and including, does Bob Iger maybe want to get rid of some Fox properties to deflect from the fact that people keep dinging him for the Fox buyout. Does Iger want to toss in, I don't know, aliens, predator, just to shut people up who keep saying, oh, we pay too much for Fox. And so maybe he tosses in a few Fox properties with the sale of Hulu. Universal ends up with these properties plus Hulu. Disney gets all their own licenses back in exchange and everybody's happy. It's very, very weird to be thinking in fantasy sports trading terms with two huge corporations like this. But when you just look at the parts, you kind of see the same kernel of an idea that led to Disney acquiring Fox's assets. So this may sound crazy on the surface, but I think there's teeth to this. And that's why Comcast wants the idea out there. Because once Bob Iger starts thinking about these things, he is going to realize he could change a lot of Disney's current problems in one transaction if he is willing to get rid of Hulu. And Raul, that's why you think the deal won't happen is because you, you honestly believe Peacock is on the rise, correct? I do believe Peacock is on the rise. I think Universal is looking at Peacock and thinking that it is actually finally becoming a success. It seems to me that the, the new direction they started taking about 18 months ago is really starting to pay off. But that doesn't mean that Hulu still can't be part of that conversation. They can bring in Hulu and in some way merge it with Peacock, rebrand Peacock as Hulu. There's a number of different variables uh, on the table here. I don't think that anyone would look at Hulu and turn their nose up at that number of subscribers, because essentially that is what you get. You get a number of subscribers. You don't necessarily get any content with 
just a streamer unless you negotiate in some way that you get to show some shows on that streamer for the next three years until licenses expire or what have you. You're basically getting a service with subscribers and no content. And no one wants to look at Hulu and say, no, no, I don't want those subscribers. The, the deal that NBC Universal did with the WWE to essentially end the WWE streaming service and bring it into Peacock was essentially a buyout of subscribers just so that they can increase their subscriber numbers. And would it make sense to do the same with Hulu? Absolutely. Don't you want to grow your streaming service and bring in tens of millions of more subscribers? Sure. But I would argue today that Hulu as a brand has value. And so does Comcast really want to have two parallel streaming services? There needs to be some thinking over at Comcast, NBC Universal as to like, if they bring in Hulu, what do they do with it? And right now, the increasing success of Peacock has made that a little bit of a complicated calculus. So there actually is some box office to talk about, isn't there, Tim, before we talk about the ratings? Yeah, we can talk about last weekend as we did a little bit. Uh, we we said, uh, despite the winning Friday for Cocaine Bear, that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania would still be the top film for the weekend, despite a huge drop. And yeah, it fell 70% from its opening weekend, but still came in with $31.9 million. So that's... Uh, all sorts of warning bells. Cocaine Bear came in with 23.2 in second. You know, it's still a good weekend, but uh, a very worrying sign for Ant-Man and the Wasp going forward. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind, which kind of surprised me, is how close the dailies were. There was a Tuesday where Cocaine Bear only lost by 70,000, and then on Thursday, it was actually passing Ant-Man, which means for, you know, a reason Tim's about to explain, Ant-Man's got a real chance to only finish third this weekend. I don't think that will happen because Ant-Man skews more family, but it's definitely not the alpha this weekend, is it, Tim? No, that's because we have the arrival of Creed 3. Uh, we are recording on Friday, so we do have a Thursday sneak preview number with that is an impressive 5.4 million. So that, that kicks the crap out of Cocaine Bear. Uh, yeah, just, just a little bit. This could come in with, why, this was uh, upper 30s, 40 million? I think 40 million is right at where I would put the, uh, the yard marker right now. Yeah, uh, we'll have more next week, but that's a, just from the Thursday number alone, that's a pretty solid number and it should be the top movie for the weekend. And it gives uh, Jonathan Majors, who uh, was kind of an important character revealed at the end of Ant-Man, two number one movies in a row because he's in Creed 3. Yeah, just to be clear, that's not like a spoiler or anything. He's an Ant-Man in the first 40 minutes. He's the villain in Ant-Man. But yeah. <laughs> This is like a one in, in the first five minutes, in fact. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So uh, this is like a an accomplishment that, you know, everything has to go right for it to happen. But it's also something that hasn't happened in like a decade, at least if you're counting only acting, not voice acting. So, I mean, yeah, really like major, yeah, yeah, major characters, not and not not voice roles. Yeah. So it does solidify the fact that Jonathan Major is a bona fide superstar now. And they're talking about a Creed universe which tells me that they're excited about this character and want to explore them more as well. Oh, wow, that's that's good to hear. This I'm um, surprised that the same power that the Creed franchise has had is, is is impressive. Just you would think it's just trying to cash in on the remnants of, of Rocky, but it, it keeps going. I guess it helps that the movies are good. Yeah, it's apparently the first movie in the Rocky franchise that does not have Sylvester Stallone in it and <laughs> is likely to be the most successful of the three Creed movies. I don't know if this is an indication of why it's so successful, but apparently it gets marketed very heavily to uh, women on the uh, beefcake angle. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, a shirtless Michael B. Jordan? Hmm. Yeah. Shirtless Jonathan Majors. Yeah. 
I also want to add the most important part of this story, at least to me, is that while it's a story by Ryan Coogler, it was directed by Michael B. Jordan. So he is his directorial debut is just full of when. And, you know, we've been watching him for God only knows how many years now. He is legitimately like a plus list Hollywood now. It's incredible. Yeah, good story. Let's move on to the ratings where we have some actually interesting things to talk yes, about. Yes, uh, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, January 30th to Sunday, February 5th. And yeah, we have some shows and or numbers to talk about here. Original series yet again is led by Jenny in Georgia, another 900 million minutes for 20 episodes. And I think we're out of things to say about this show and just waiting for the season three renewal. Uh, so that's probably the least interesting thing about the list this week is the, is the top show because that's been here for a few weeks now. The second actually moving up is Poker Face, now up to five episodes, 641 million minutes. Yeah, that's fantastic. When the top 10 is often dominated by Netflix, the fact that the second show on the originals chart is not a Netflix show, not an Amazon show, (laughs) a Peacock show. Fantastic. We will see this continue to add new episodes through the month of February. I think the premiere is, or the season finale of the premiere season is next week. So it's going to keep adding episodes and I expect it to grow a little bit more. Shows tend to plateau. We see that effect and then they get that uh, bump at the end as people finally check it out and binge the whole thing. But that's a good showing for for Peacock here. So of course, you know, Ryan Johnson is just the hottest thing going right now. So I'm just, it's, it's good to see. And this is on the list for me to check out when I finally have some free time. Third, another show we saw last week, Lockwood Income. 623 million minutes for eight episodes for the teen British uh, young adult series adaptation from a, from a book series. Uh, Wednesday is still here in fourth, 415 million minutes. Now it's in the, the lower tier of the, the list, but it'll still hang around for a few more weeks. Something new from Netflix in fifth, The Snow Girl, 365 million minutes for six episodes. This is a Spanish drama. We did talk about it. We had to double check, but yes, we did mention it. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how this happened. It's definitely unique. Yes, a Spanish language mystery series. A girl goes missing and a, a journalist's fearless pursuit to, to track her down. This actually arrived on the 27th, so this is a full week number. So it's 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 a jump from whatever where it was at last week. And uh, unless it's a really soft bottom of the list next week, I don't expect to see it see it again. But it's it's interesting that it, that it actually got enough interest to make it. But that may, may just be a testament to being a Spanish series. That's you know the second biggest language on on Netflix clearly. So I think that may have had something to do with it. Uh, that 90 show is still hanging around 340 million minutes for its 10 episodes. Physical 100. We saw that. Last week takes a little bit of a jump, 329 million minutes for four episodes. So it did add an episode. It is an ongoing series. It's an oddity for, for Netflix. The Great British Baking Show, but this is a spinoff. The Great British Baking Show, The Professionals, is eighth, 306 million minutes for 10 episodes. We have a returning show in ninth, Gabby's Dollhouse. We have seen that before, but it's been a while. 290 million minutes for 45 episodes. Uh, I do have questions, though, because best I could tell, the sixth season of six episodes arrived on Netflix in November. So what it's doing here now, I have no idea, uh, but we have seen it before, typically after it adds new episodes. There actually will be more later on in March, so we, we may see it again, either when we get March ratings or maybe a couple months after, who knows. It is a weak bottom to this top 10 with only 290 million minutes for Gabby's yeah. Dollhouse. I wonder if Gabby's Dollhouse is one of those shows that's always just below the top 10. That, that hangs around the, um, yeah, like a, like a poor man's Cocoa Melon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On a week, week, it'll, it'll make, make the chart. Yeah, that's possible. And Vikings Valhalla wraps up originals 268 million minutes for 16 total episodes. All right. After a couple of sorry ass weeks in movies, we have something that just blew the doors off everything else. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, 2.2 billion minutes. 
No, you got that wrong, Tim. Movies do not make billions of minutes. Nope, this week they do. In oh fact, my God. In, in yeah. fact, hold, hold that thought for a moment as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that conjecture we just had two weeks ago about how people just didn't want to watch movies anymore does not seem to be based in reality, does it? No, that, that didn't age well. yeah yeah uh we want to emphasize that this is like an earth-shattering performance and i can explain that with two data points glass onion and knives out mystery gained 2.9 billion minutes and hocus pocus 2 did 2.7 billion minutes this is the third best performance ever for a movie on streaming since nilson has been tracking so this is definitely a Yeah, this is this is mind blowing. It, it it arrived on February first, so this is the bulk of the week. But that is just a ridiculous number, especially for something. I mean, it, it always feels weird to correlate a movie's box office with its streaming performance, but it made a ton of money at the box office, and here it is still on the streaming. A whole bunch of people still watched it. And it's hard to tell whether people just, they waited to see it again, or they waited for it to arrive on Disney Plus to see it, or they saw it again because they saw it in theaters and they couldn't wait for it to show up on Disney Plus. Wakanda forever indeed. Seriously, wow. <laughs> when I saw that number, my my jaw dropped. I was like, that's not supposed to happen with, with movies. But yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, second was the top movie last week. It is You People, still here. 1.5 billion minutes for its full week of availability. Rule, I heard you have some thoughts about this one. <laughs> I had a note to mention this one in the uh, what's kept me busy. I'll just say it here and I'm going to be very brief. I did not finish watching this movie. I have rarely, if ever, quit or walked out of a movie. I did that for this one. It is just cringeworthy. It makes you uncomfortable in a bad way, not in a way that, oh, you have to watch this movie. It makes you rethink your priorities or whatever. No, this is just like, uh, this is a very uncomfortable movie and not funny in the way they think it's funny. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, we, we touched on that last week, how it was not well reviewed, but it still drew in a lot of viewers. And then here's the full week and it almost expanded. And I think it's going to collapse from here. It should based on the reception. But I was just, I'm surprised it, it held as well as it did. But I think this this might be it because it's by multiple accounts, not very good and moderately offensive. Uh, in third, we have uh, something new. Sort of. Uh, here is Minions: The Rise of Gru. Uh, one point one billion minutes. So three movies cracking uh, a billion minutes. Um, this is, of course, on Netflix, but it arrived there on January thirtieth. But it was somewhere else before that, and we didn't see it on the ratings then. And that would, of course, be Peacock. <laughs> yeah, indeed. When I was uh, going to Netflix to watch you people, they recommended that I watch Minions: The Rise of Gru, and I wish I'd listened. <laughs> This is the same universal deal that they they have where once a movie arrives on streaming, it is exclusive to Peacock for a couple months and then heads to Netflix for the next several months and then disappears from Netflix and goes back to Peacock. It is the most bizarre deal that of a licensing nightmare that uh, we have it's the, with all these universal films. And it will never cease to uh, amuse me. Uh, something else new in fourth, Pamela, A Love Story, 545 million minutes. Yeah, the documentary, Pamela Anderson, in her own words. Yep, it uh, arrived on Netflix on the 31st. So this is actually the, the majority of the week. So I, I assume it'll drop from here. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to see that. I, I guess I kind of expected it to make it when we talked about it that week, considering it was counting as a, as a movie and not a uh, series. But yeah, that's actually, that's a decent enough number. Uh, Shotgun Wedding, this is from Prime Video, is here in fifth, 533 million minutes. Uh, something else new in sixth, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile, 360 million minutes for the theatrical release from last year that what? showed up yeah 
right? That showed up on Netflix. I still hardly believe this was a real movie. Yeah, with a title like that, you're just kind of like, uh, well, huh? But yeah, it, 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 this is actually just a... Uh, it's only a couple days worth because this this came on February fourth of all things. So this this just just arrived on on the weekend. So it might take a jump next week if when it has a full week of, of availability. Uh, we have something in seventh that we had to check and we didn't mention this. Viking Wolf, three hundred twenty million minutes. Uh, there it is. It is a Norwegian horror movie about a teen who begins to have visions following a murder at a party. It arrived on February third. So of course it's just Netflix just you know, pushing newer, newer content and uh, sure. Why not? Not, not the strangest thing to ever make this list. Clearly our decision to not mention Netflix titles that seem obscure and don't even have trailers has just come back and bit us. In yeah. The we haven't missed too many, but this, this, we had to, we had, I always check if I can't remember it and someone it's like, Oh yeah, no, we did. Or, and when I, I see it, but Nope, we, we didn't mention this one, but yeah, sure. Whatever. Why not? Uh, here's your weirdest one of the week because uh, an eighth from Netflix flushed away 200, 73 million minutes. Yes, the 2006 Ardman Animations movie. Why is it here? Because we flipped the calendar and it arrived on Netflix from wherever it was on February 1st. It's not even very good. (laughs) I would say it is by far the least of all Ardman's. They're one of of their weaker entries? Yes. Yeah. I am sad Chicken Run never got a sequel. I do remember liking that one a lot. Oh, it still gets discussed every now and again. Oh, but, you yeah. know, they... Yeah, 20... Right, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, the lead is problematic. Problematic, it's yeah. not like they can't replace him, but... <laughs> Of all the things that arrived on February 1st, I would not, if you show me the list, I would not have chosen this one at all. Um, nope. Yeah, because um, the, the three Lord of the Rings movies from wherever they were came back to Netflix on the first. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. La La Land, Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2, a Tyler Perry movie. I mean, I, I would not have, this would have been like my last choice if you showed when I looked at this list of movies that showed up on February 1st on Netflix. But ah, just do better, people. Just because they say some, you have to watch something doesn't mean you have to. Uh, we do wrap up movies with uh, the evergreen Disney Plus content in Kanto in 9th, 237 million minutes, and Moana right behind it, 236 million minutes. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before, led this week by a surprise, New Amsterdam, 1.2 billion minutes, credited to the odd combination of Netflix and Peacock. Uh, But the reason for that is the third and fourth seasons of this show came to Netflix on February 1st. And this is where I reiterate that it was absolutely idiotic of NBC to cancel this show. Yes, it, it gets credited to Peacock as well because it's also streaming on there and they have the fifth and final season. That is currently not on Netflix. This is where I make my Hank and Tommy Aaron home run analogy. Yeah, sure. You really helped, Tommy. <laughs> hey, if they're getting those numbers for Poker Face, I mean, come on. Some people have to be watching New Amsterdam. That is still a very solid number. And Peacock has the entire series. Netflix has the first four seasons. If we, I am sure, as even though David's making a joke about it, 90% of it is probably Netflix. But yeah, uh, The Last of Us is a solid second. Now up to almost 1.2 billion minutes for now four episodes. And yeah, this is the one that around this time when that episode just had, I saw so many people talking about it because the most recent episode to that point just hit people just square in the in the face, really, with, with how incredible the show was. So I'm not surprised that it took the, that, that jump here as people got invested in it. 
And I think I expect that to continue to grow over the next month as well. Uh, Walking Dead is in third, now 900 million after leading the Wii for a couple of weeks. And then it's just stuff we've seen before. Grey's Anatomy and Cocomelon and CIS, Corona Minds, Bluey, Friends, Big Bang Theory. So yeah, that was a pretty wild week with those numbers, that Wakanda Forever number, three movies total, cracking a billion minutes. Peacock coming really close to being the top uh, original series. I don't think that's going to happen the next week or two because we, I believe we get ratings for the new season of You next week and that should easily win the week. Uh, but yeah, that that was a uh, pretty interesting week to talk about in ratings. Okay. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Kristen Bell is coming back to TV comedy as she's set to star in a new series at Netflix. Yeah, Kristen Bell's great in comedy. This one's actually executive produced by Steve Levitan, who we know from Modern Family. And the series is about the unlikely relationship between an irreverent, outspoken, agnostic woman and an unconventional rabbi. I wonder which one Kristen <laughs> Bell will play. <laughs> oh, she's got the range to play the rabbi. And Robert De Niro is coming to TV as Netflix has picked up his series Zero Day. It is a six-part series described as a conspiracy thriller. Imagine going back to the 90s and telling all these big movie stars that in the future they're going to do TV. <laughs> God. And that it would it actually reflect the fact that their careers were going really well pay-wise. <laughs> <laughs> Over at HBO Max, the Penguin series, spinning off from Robert Pattinson's The Batman, has cast Clancy Brown as mobster Salvatore Moroni. Well, I really like Clancy Brown, so this is a mark in the plus column for this show. They get bonus points if they figure out a way for him to decapitate someone with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> there can be only one. Over at Apple TV+, Plus, the documentary series Prehistoric Planet has been renewed for a second season. At this point, you got to try really hard to get canceled after only one season on Apple TV+. Plus. Wrestling superstars Brie and Nikki Bella will be hosting the dating competition series Twin Love for Amazon Prime Video. Superstars? Really stretching the definition of superstars there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, at least one of them was a former world champion, I think, and it was not a popular tenure, but uh, I actually think this is awesome. They started off supremely annoying, didn't they? <laughs> Oh, yes, absolutely. But they actually have been wonderful role models and representatives in a lot of ways. And one of them is married to Brian Danielson. So we love him. There you go. And in a bit of a surprise, the Tom Hiddleston miniseries, The Night Manager, based on the book by John le Carre, is getting a sequel produced by Amazon and the BBC. I remember watching the original series on AMC back in 2016. That is seven years ago. It was Great. I don't believe like RA intended for this to be a series, but I'll watch almost anything Hiddleston is in. So I'm here for this. And finally, it's been announced that B.B. Newworth will be returning to her role as Lilith, the ex-wife, in the Frasier sequel on Paramount+. Plus. So this isn't a joke. She is literally the only living member of the Frasier cast they could get to agree to return, and she is only going to be guest starring. <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm honestly surprised given her pedigree that she's willing to return. But first, I want to point out that I don't think we knew that Frasier was actually going to be on Paramount Plus. We'd heard that it was getting rebooted, but I'm not sure they ever announced it was going to be on Paramount Plus. I may have just missed that news. New Earth is very well regarded as a Broadway actress, and her appearances on Frasier have always been great, but they've also been few and far between. The fact that she is returning to the show, as David has pointed out, is highly irregular. But given the premise of the show, uh, it's heavily focused on Frasier and Lilith's son. Her appearance does make sense. And I guess someone must have cut her a great big check. (laughs) I was going to say they must have paid her well. (laughs) Yeah, we will pay you this much. All right, since Kelsey Grammer is in it, we'll add a zero. (laughs) I was going to say, we'll pay you this much. (laughs) As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think we watched much of anything new this week other than The Bear, which we've talked about before. So I am just going to mention a show called Hey, EW. It is a Sunday morning show, streaming show on YouTube, hosted by RJ City. And even if you don't like wrestling, you could enjoy this show. RJ City is hilarious. He just strikes all the right notes as he interviews all of these different wrestlers. And half the time, they don't know what to do with him. It's hilarious. Just give it a shot. Raul, how about you? Weirdly around here, we had a number of snow days or late starts at work, actually. So every morning when I'd get up, I'd find myself with a couple of hours to kill. And I ended up watching a lot of movies. I did, as mentioned earlier, watch about uh, three quarters of You People and finally gave up on it. But I also ended up watching movies I needed to catch up on. I saw Black Adam, Shotgun Wedding, because David recommended it highly, and Ticket to Paradise. I'll tell you that Ticket to Paradise was harmless. I think it's best if you appreciate uh, George Clooney's casual demeanor. Uh, That's really what this movie is all about. And I enjoyed that. So it was definitely worth watching. I would agree with that assessment. It's harmless fun and George Clooney is charming in it. Yeah, absolutely. Shotgun Wedding was a lot of fun. Great cast. A lot of uh, a lot of folks you'll recognize. Some great humor in it. A lot of slapstick. I really like Josh Duhamel. He's been in a lot of my favorite projects. And while I'm not a big fan of Jennifer Lopez, she really delivered in this one. I think she's really found her forte here with, with this kind of comedy. I have to say her delivery of I love this knife And I'm not going to say anything necessarily bad about Black Adam. It was not a great superhero movie, but I would also say that a number of the recent Marvel movies have not been great superhero movies either. Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam is very much in his element. It's got all the stupid stuff you expect from a DC superhero movie. Superheroes go in to punch the bad guys without ever actually understanding why it is that they're punching the bad guys. And so, of course, there's billions of dollars of infrastructure destroyed because people didn't understand what it is that they were supposed to be doing and didn't think to talk it out first. It happens all too often, especially in a DC movie. It's just the silliest thing. And you also have to wonder that when you're dealing with world-ending events, why it is you send in this group of superheroes instead of like, you know, your A-list group of superheroes. I love seeing characters I recognize like Hawkman and Dr. Fate in this DC movie. I think that's really where this movie excelled. 
And honestly, I loved the post credit scene, which at this point, I don't think I'm ruining any, anything by saying that, yes, Henry Cavill shows up as Superman at the end. Fantastic. I always thought that that was great. But I do have to question why it is that someone like Superman, who's, you know, truth, justice in the American way, would be at the beck and call of Amanda Waller, who the first time we met her in a DC movie is just an incorrigible, terrible person who will kill people just because she feels it's convenient to her. Why would Superman just take orders from her? Surely he knows what a terrible person she is. So there's a lot of that stupid stuff going on in this DC movie as much as you would see in pretty much any other DC movie, but it was still rather bland as a superhero movie, but enjoyable enough to keep me entertained during a snow day. It's not the worst of the DC movies by a long shot. And, you know, Dwayne Johnson, always great, except for that part in the movie where they demuscle him. That's just weird. That was really honestly very disturbing. And I don't ever want to see that again. Thank you. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan for me is the best part of the movie by far. And I still pretty much meh about it otherwise. Um, The thing about Pierce Brosnan in that movie is that he's in it for about five minutes. (laughs) Every other scene he's in as Dr. Faith, it's clearly just some stunt actor with a helmet on. (laughs) Yeah. True. Good point. Tim, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, I went back into the game Tropico 6 and played some of the DLC, which it's just more Tropico. It's not going to make you love the game if you didn't already enjoy it to begin with. It's just more missions, more mechanics, more more buildings, just just more of it in general. It's They're fine. Some of the missions are okay. Some of them are, are not, but it is enjoyable to just play like randomly generated map and include all the, the different ones. And uh, you get to start from a little small little village and turn it into the whole, whole island. It's it's the game that's sort of just my my jam, just relaxing city builder that's a little bit on the, on the whimsical side. So uh, I was happy to to spend a little bit of time with that. And I did want to mention that if you hadn't heard me talk enough about Mystery Science Theater 3000, the latest season, season 13, is now available to watch for free on Pluto TV, on demand as well as on their the channel that they have that, that's, that streamed the show. So if you are more curious about it and but didn't want to pay the Gizmoplex subscription, they're available there. And of course, I highly recommend them. Okay, David, take us home. Yeah, so Kim didn't watch much this week, but I actually tried something without her, which is hilarious because it stars one of her favorite actors, Christoph Waltz. It's the consultant on Prime Video, and I have made it halfway through that season, and I think I hate it but I can't stop watching it. Uh, That's kind of where I'm at with it. Christoph Waltz's character is a special kind of messed up, uh, which I realize, you know, if you're going to cast somebody like that, it's probably going to be in a really memorable role. This show is weird and it has so far raised a lot more questions than it's answered. And I'm afraid it's just going to be like that. I tuned it on because it's a Matt Shackman had directed the first episode of it and he is the WandaVision person. And the first episode, I don't even know if I would recommend to people but I've told Kim, I know she's going to watch it, so I might as well lean into it and act like it's my idea. This is this is a disturbing show, and I kind of wish I hadn't started it. It sounds like it should have been on Apple TV+. Plus. It does. You're not wrong. <laughs> it does sound like an Apple TV. It sounds like a severance type show. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. 
If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streaming void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 